Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Chris makes here. It's hard to believe, but Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Do you want to get ahead of the curve and get your significant other a unique and memorable gift? Well, I'd love to write you a short custom song and play it in a personalized video greeting. You supply the details about the person you love, and I'll do the rest. For example, if your name is Boris and your girlfriend's name is Gertrude and Gertrude really likes cats and playing the drums, I could write you something like this. Gertrude, you are the cat's meow and Boris tried so hard but he can't tell you how he's felt about you since day one from the start. You are the steady beat within his kick from heart. Yeah, he will always be there. Your love is tighter than a snare. You are the steady beat within his kick drum heart. Yeah, Boris hopes you know that he never wants to be apart. It doesn't just have to be for a love interest either. You can send a custom song Valentine greeting to a friend, to your parents, to your coworkers, or hell, even to yourself. Email me at kristamakes at gmail.com if you're interested. Video greeting reservations are limited, so time is of the essence. Hey everybody, today's guest is Christine Flaherty, better known as K-Flay. Christine chose to talk about her 2017 hit single, High Enough. She mentioned how important it is to her that the overall mood and context of a song dictates what the lyrical subject matter should be. She touched on the importance of imagery and how she feels that High Enough is one of the most descriptive songs in her catalog. Christine talked about how a song like High Enough could be perceived as a pro-drinking and partying song, but that couldn't be further from the truth. I mentioned that's what I feel is the sheer genius of the song, the fact that when you read between the lines, it's not glorifying that at all. Instead, it's about being high on life, and in particular, according to Christine, it's about being high on a love interest. She also credits producer Mike Elizondo for his amazing production skills and coming up with the bridge part for the song that truly ties the whole thing together. And Christine brought up that although the song was very successful right out of the gate, it continues to grow in popularity at an alarming rate due to social media platforms such as TikTok. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hello, Christine. How are we today? Uh, doing great. I have three beverages in front of me, which is how I like to live my life. I have a coffee, I have a <laughs> giant container of tap water, and I have a sparkling water as well. So I'm doing great. How are you? You are prepared. I am well too. And uh, uh, for the listeners, I'm calling her Christine. I just asked her a moment ago if she wanted to be called Kayflay or Christine, her her birth name. And we're going with Christine. We got a couple of Chris's here. So uh, I want to thank you for for taking the time uh, to be on the show. And uh, this, is, this is really cool. Uh, Christine picked... Uh, 
High Enough, uh, a song of hers uh, from the 2017 album called Everywhere Is Somewhere. And I like how everywhere and somewhere are two separate words. Uh, that's thank cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks. So take us back. The, the record previous to this, uh, Life as a Dog, came out in 2014. And I'm not sure if you recall this or not, but Less Than Jake was on the 2014 Warp Tour with you. <laughs> I do recall this. Um, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about Warp Tour, but um, I do recall that. And um, yeah, very got to see the set and it was awesome. Um, I, I believe that summer you guys set the record for most days on Warp Tour. Am I making that up? No, great memory. That was that was okay. that year. Yes, we played our 365th show in West Palm Beach that year. <laughs> Um, well, I will. I genuflect at your altar. That is Ooh. that's an incredible feat. <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you very much for uh, for remembering that. And I, I have a quote here from you. And you can't believe everything you read on the internet, but uh, it says you were part of the Warp Tour in 2014, which you described as an exercise in becoming a better performer. And I got to hand it to you. You know, it's very uh, easy. It's in our wheelhouse. We're a rock band. That's what the Warp Tour is: punk rock and loud. And for you to go out there and do what you do and uh, and win over crowds is uh, is amazing and awesome. And, and uh, that that's great. I really uh, commend bands that are out of uh, you know kind of outside of the box that do Warp Tour and are su- successful at it. Yeah, you know, I think for me it really was this trial by fire of performing with none of the advantages that you sometimes have at a live show which is like atmosphere and lights and you know everyone feels cool it's at night people want to see you people know who you are you know I think a lot of the stuff that comes along with you know headlining a traditional show in a club for me was just totally absent and you know I was just putting out my first record kind of still just like cutting my teeth on how the hell to even perform so it was a very um treacherous in some ways beautiful in other ways summer which I'm sure you can relate to and certainly actually kind of changed the course of my life in a variety of ways that I'm you know eternally grateful for yeah uh that's some of my favorite things now are the challenge of getting up in front of a crowd where I go you know, 90% of this crowd's not going to get us. We have to we have to do some work, and that makes you a better performer, and I'm, I'm sure you came out better for, for doing a tour like that. Definitely. I think, you know, and I actually just listened to uh, Carrie Brownstein's audiobook, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, and she talks about they open, Slater Kinney opened for Pearl Jam at, like, ar- arenas, and sort of them, you know, that experience, it just reminded me of when you're really you're really proving yourself night after night. And I think, at least for me, and I don't know if you share in this, it, for me, kind of solidified my own belief in the music. Because I think when no one out there is like on your side at the get-go, you have to be on your side. And if you can, if you can like sort of transmit that energy to an audience, I think that's really how you succeed. But you, you sort of have to be able to look at whoever's on stage with you and just be like, yeah, this fucking rules. We rock. This is this is great. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and that's a hard thing to do, especially if you get in your inside your own head. It's like you have to believe. Like I know what I do is good. I know we're a tight band. I know everything's great, and uh, I have to believe. <laughs> and if I yes, believe, yes. then I can sell it to them. It's a yes. that's a that's a great point. Um, so, uh, twenty fourteen. Life is a dog. Uh, 2017, high enough is off the record. Uh, everywhere is somewhere. 
uh, take us back to when the song was written. So was this a, a leftover from the first record? Or was this something that was uh, written specifically for Everywhere Is uh, Somewhere? So... Yeah, this song was written specifically for that record. And I kind of wanted to talk about it today because I'm having an interesting experience with it, which is it came out, the song and the record, and, you know, like did its thing and, uh, you know, went to radio and and, and did well, not like crazy good. Uh, But it's bizarrely having this resurgence on the internet now and on TikTok and is now like my best performing song in this strange way and I thought it would be kind of interesting I haven't really thought that much about it or dug into it but I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk about because I'm sure you know undoubtedly you have experienced you know forms of this throughout your career when you put something into the world it does whatever it's going to do in the moment and then it has this this legacy that really nobody can predict or a trajectory that nobody can predict um but to, to answer your question and go back this this whole record was, you know, all brand new material. I was newly signed to Interscope mm-hmm. and it was my second major label deal. My first one with RCA had been, you know, I was just like super, super young, early to the game, didn't really know what I was doing in a lot of ways, didn't really have that sense of self. And Life is a Dog, I put out independently. I got off RCA. And so now I was on Interscope and I felt like I had this, kind of second chance to really present my authentic musical self to the world when I actually knew, you know, what I wanted to say on some level. And I started working on this song with Mike Elizondo. We were actually working, he was producing a different song for the record called Mean It. And we had like a second day kind of free. And I started messing around with the riff that that essentially like uh, girds this song. And he was stoked on it, and we kind of just started vibing out, um, fleshing out the beat a little bit um, and the instrumentation. And then I took it home and worked on the lyric, the concept, everything like that, and then came back. And we finished, you know, I recorded the song at his studio, and we kind of developed the bridge together. But it, for me, has been, you know, it's interesting because I spent, the first, the majority of my life totally in a state of total sobriety. I didn't drink. I didn't, you know, none of that. And then I started doing music and then, you know, turns out you get paid in beer. So I, I learned a little. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> you will be drugged through hell. Um, uh, um, but yeah, so, so then I had this period of, of you know, ex- experimenting with like my my mental state and you know I, I never really got into like drugs but I would drink alcohol and um you know so I I think a lot I, a lot of my career I've I've thought about that this this idea of being high or being altered and I, the original spirit of the song was really just when you're in a situation that is so exciting and so compelling and you're with a person who you love and are are sort of like entranced by you don't really you don't need to be drunk. You don't need to be like fucked up in any way. Yeah, they're, they're enough. They're enough. And I think there was something so for me about my like youth and developmental years, something so pure about it because I really just felt like that all the time. I was like, I don't get why people need to like to drink or something because life is so cool. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I really, I really had that genuine um, zest for life. Good zest for, you. for life. Yeah. You know, and I, I was, I was lucky enough to, to kind of have that experience. So that was, that was the genesis of the song. Okay. Um, wow. You, you're a great conversationalist. You've said so many things. My head is spinning and really does my head spin in, in, a, uh, in a podcast. I have a bunch of this stuff written down. I want to get to M- Michael Elizondo because he's fascinating who he's worked with. You touched on something you said when I wrote the riff. So I looked up a bunch of videos. I was trying to see if you playing guitar or something. Do you play instruments? Did you write the music of this track or just the lyrics or both? So... Um to answer that question, I am a, a very mediocre guitar player, um, but I mean, I can play guitar, but I'm not, I'm certainly no lead guitarist, but I think it's actually one of my greatest strengths is that I just like the way certain things feel or sound. Um, and I think sometimes knowing too much about an instrument or knowing too much about like theory or having having that kind of academic infrastructure. I agree. Be, oh, that, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so limiting. And yeah. So I love I love riffs. I love because to me, that's just it's so like visceral and it, it there, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about like Enter Sandman. I'm sure there's. I'm sure someone has a theory about it, but it just feels fucking good. You know what I mean? Um, It's just, you feel like cool when you play it. And I think that that for me is always the barometer. So I wrote, yeah, that riff, Mike, Mike came up with the bridge chords. Okay. And that's actually very telling because the bridge of this song, I think is very interesting. Oh, we're going to get to it. It is interesting. I love it. Yeah. It's a progression I wouldn't have thought of. You know what I'm saying? And like, I think what was cool about and what I really like about Mike, um, not only is he just a super nice, kind person and fun to work with, but I think he really, he was like, okay, you do your thing. I like everything you're doing. How about we just have a scene change in this bridge and really uh, take it to it, a new place? That's what, <laughs> that's what it says in my notes. It says oh. <laughs> change of scenery. That's what I wrote down because that's what it is. It's such a cool part. And Real quick for the listeners, uh, Michael Elizondo is a protege of Dr. Dre. Uh, he's worked with uh, 50 Cent, Eminem, uh, Carrie Underwood, Mastodon, and 21 Pilots. How about a lineup there of yeah, different Mike, crazy artists, right? Mike is awesome. Mike is just like, and I think it's why we we got along so well, was he he didn't really come up, come up in a genre per se. He came up just doing things that he loved and being like, you know, he's, he started as a bassist. Mm-hmm. And had this, you know, he's he's an amazing instrumentalist too. But what actually, and just to even dig a little deeper on that bridge, the inspiration for it in a bigger sense was, do you remember the neighborhood song Sweater Weather? I do. Yeah. So that song has a really cool scene change in the bridge. And actually there's a tempo change too. It slows down and it like becomes kind of this like strummy, a uh, chordal thing. I had always wanted to try to do something like that. And I, I can't remember exactly the conversation, but it came up and I think that was like a, a point of 
a point of inspiration for that bridge. Yeah, well, in in just his uh, production, I noticed um, when I was uh, researching the record that I believe you had four producers. Was there a reason why you gravitated or Mike gravitated to to be the producer for this particular song high enough? Really, just because I we started, I started it in his studio and we were we were just he was like, this is great and started like he I think the first thing he did was add. Mellotron and yeah. we did that we did that pre-chorus when it just goes to this like sub bass that's so cool that felt really cool yeah you still like liquor to get me inspired but you look so beautiful my new supplier I used to like smoking and stop all the thinking but I found it different so we just we just kind of caught a vibe you know I think for for people listening sometimes you're in the studio for one reason which was to to work on this other song mean it and something happens you're just like noodling um and i have personally found that often the first thing i work on with someone is cool but the second thing is really cool and the third thing like is even cooler than that so i i think i had gotten comfortable with mike and adam who uh was was working with him doing engineering and mixing adam hawkins who's awesome and has ended up mixing stuff for me and mixed this song and um but yeah, just I, I think I got comfortable and we were all excited about it. Okay, so you had touched on a moment ago about, uh, you know, the inspiration behind the song and, and you never really needed the, the felt the need to, to use substances or get out of, you know, get out of your head that way. But did you have these lyrics scrawled in a, in a, a notebook somewhere, a lyric book, or was this like you sat down and you're like, I want to write about, you know, this experience that you explained about, you know, that, that sometimes someone is enough. I did not have lyrics scrawled, and in fact, I essentially never do. For me, it's always the music um, dictates my state of mind and, and kind of what I'm connecting to. And I don't, you know, I know some people who have great success, like keeping a journal and writing things down. I can't keep a journal. Like, I, like, have some type of, like, mental block. I, like, can't keep a journal. Uh, for the life of me so I think I think it's always for me it always the starting point is is a rhythmic component and this song actually has a lot of different rhythmic components and so I just started I started with the with the verse which is typically where I start I usually write a song in the order of a song sometimes what I think is the chorus becomes the bridge Uh sometimes uh, but with this song, it was pretty direct. I had originally a different lyric. I was actually going back a second ago. I had a slightly different lyric in the chorus on the first version that I sang, uh, but then ended up changing it just slightly. Um, but yeah, I think this was all just like percolating in my mind. This, this, this idea of, you know, what, what is enough what does anyone really need and like what am I looking for well and I, I that's why I love doing this podcast about songwriting because it's it's so intriguing to me just how different people operate and you know you you said that you know you you just kind of go in with a blank slate and the song dictates the lyric and that's uh something that no one's really brought up yet on the show I'm really glad that you said that because that's a great way of looking at it and I can totally relate about writing linear I happen to do that too when I sit down to write a song I typically go from the start to the end of the story I don't you know once in a while I'll have a chorus or a hook but I usually start writing and it and it kind of goes down like that so that's an interesting point you brought up 
Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've reflected on this too, um, because I've done, I've ended up in the last, particularly last two years, doing a lot of songwriting for, for other artists projects. So I've gotten a chance to really see how other people write songs, you know, uh-huh. not being in a band uh, dynamic. I haven't, I haven't had that experience too often until recently. And I think, you know, some people start with melody which was like, which blew my mind initially. I was like, what? You start with a melody? That that seems insane. And then you fit words into the melody. To me, that's like, that's a huge puzzle. But I think, you know, bottom line, what it is when I've actually like taken a step back and thought about it is what gets you excited to just finish a song? And I think for me, it's about the lyric and the concept. Like that is what kind of leads me to get to the end point I think for other people the melody is is that inspiration point um but whatever it is I think it's important to know that about yourself mm-hmm. and make sure because I've I've noticed that if I start a song and I'm just like not feeling the lyric I just either the song ends up being very mediocre or I just don't finish it yeah well even if I- the melody is cool and the vibe is super cool interesting well this song um and I've said this before on the show, uh, there's certain songs that, uh, and this isn't uh, that long of a song, it's three minutes and 51 seconds, but it just works. And when a song works and it's a great song, it goes by very, very quickly. Um, this song, I, like, I, wanna, I wanna get into the lyrics now because I love the lyrics of this tune. You know, anytime you can write about alcohol or drugs, people are gonna love it. But in this <laughs> sure. sense, you're not writing about the uh, glorifying it. You're writing about being high on life. And I love the the double entendre there. I think it's awesome. Um, it starts with that cool guitar riff at the top. You got your OOs in there. Uh, the, the, it's just a hook off the top. Uh, it, it goes for about 21 seconds, and then boom, you're into the first verse. And there's a couple of things in here that, that, that put a smile on my face. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recite the uh, first verse for our listeners, then I'll uh, let you set it up for us. I don't like anyone better than you. It's true. I'd crawl a mile in a desolate place with the snakes just for you. Oh, I'm an animal. Hand me a tramadol. Give me the juice. You are my citadel. You are my wishing well. My baby blue. Oh, oh, oh. Um, the only reason I know what tramadol is, it's an opiate. I had to give it to my dog one time. They, they prescribed tramadol for animals, and you said, oh, I'm an animal. <laughs> tramadol. And I'm like, immediately, I'm like, I love this. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is, I mean, I think actually it's interesting to even hear the lyrics spoken. So I think what's interesting about this song and why I like it in large part is that the lyrics are very specific and kind of strange. Like, it's you know, hearing the word citadel in a song now that I'm thinking about it, like I don't get to use that word. So I had to often. I had to look it up and I'm pretty good with words. It means fortress. <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> yeah. So you know, in the tramadol thing, I just happen to know that from maybe it is from our dog. Um, somehow it was just in my brain that I knew what that drug was. I've never taken it or used it. Uh, tramadol um, is a weird drug to talk about. And I don't think anyone's ever written the word tramadol in a song. You you did. You yeah, I did do that. Um, but I liked, you know, I think when I get a chance to 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 really create imagery that is that is so cool when when you're working on a song and every song is different but like like you say how many times have people talked about drugs and alcohol in a, in a rock song like a, a million, million arguably yep. every song on some level right and so i think it's like this is this is not new territory but 
can can I bring new imagery to old territory? And I liked this idea of just being obsessed with someone or something. And I have to say, at the time that I wrote this, I really wasn't obsessed with anybody actively at that moment. I was sort of disillusioned with with love or whatever for, for a minute. However, of course, I've, I've felt all those feelings before. Um, and I think I was just tapping into that idea of like, yeah, I, I'd crawl a mile in a desolate place with the snakes. You know, just this idea of kind of going through, going through whatever, um, just to be with somebody else was certainly something I'd, I'd been through and getting to talk about it in these really visual ways that I think that was exciting for me. And that's really like, again, to the point of like, why did I even keep working on this song? It was just that. Yeah, no. And, and, and you said it, how many, you know, a million songs have been written uh, about uh, alcohol, substances, uh, drugs, but that's what I love is the spin you put on this, the, the, the way that you, you, it's, you, you twisted, the, twisted it up to where it's not glorifying it. It's, it's just the opposite. But you talk about it through the song. So, again, anybody that, that wants to hear a song about drugs or alcohol could gravitate towards it, even though it doesn't mean that. <laughs> and you know what? That's, that's been the interesting thing about this song over time is that right now, like if you just listen to the chorus... Like, if you really just listen to the first line of the chorus, I'm already high enough. That could be the, the theme song for being incredibly fucked up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah and Cypress I think, Hill could have wrote that. <laughs> right. And <laughs> and that's what's been so bizarre is, is online right now on TikTok, a lot of these videos are like people who are fucked up. And I think, you know, there's, there's a, a bigger conversation here, which is anytime you put anything into the world, it just inherently like its possession is is no longer um a singular kind of notion it it really just becomes like a just another little piece of clay in a in the giant soil of of the whole cultural universe so it's like yeah i think for me that's always interesting is you can you can intend for anything as a writer or as an artist or whatever but you know, the, the consequences or the results are just kind of up to the whims of the universe, which is like really exciting, I think, just to see what people do with things. Yeah, well, the, you know, the minute you throw it out to the world, it becomes somebody else's interpretation, you know? And like you said, there's a bunch of people smoking blunts on TikTok that are playing your song behind it. And that wasn't the original, uh, you know, idea uh, or thought behind the song. But, but really, yeah, we as artists have no control over that at that point, you know? What are you going to do? Put a cease and desist? <laughs> no, and I, and I think that's such a it's such a myopic way to to view the world, right? That like any of us can control anything. Yeah. Um and and I think it's it's continually a good lesson for me because certainly I have had, you know, plans in life uh as everybody has and you know, it's sort of that rule of like the minute you have a plan is the moment it disintegrates because, <laughs> you, you know, like we, we can all aim for things. But um, yeah, so it's just without getting too philosophical, I think um, in, in a great way, just a reminder that, you know, you try your best, you, you make something you're proud of and then 
Who the fuck knows? Yeah, yeah, Who exactly. Who knows? And uh, I do want to touch on uh, later after, I want to get into this pre-chorus, but I do want to talk about how the song's taken on a life after the initial. You had some some success at terrestrial radio, whatever, but now it's taken on, and that, that's fascinating. I do want to talk about that. I just wanted to bring it up so that mainly that I wouldn't forget. Uh, <laughs> but we get into the pre-chorus here, and I got to tell you, Christine, this, that's what I love about this song. This part is almost a chorus. You know, it is a pre-chorus, but it's 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 so hooky and there's so much imagery lyric-wise. There's more imagery here than the actual chorus of the song. Totally. So I'm going to uh, read the lyrics off here for the listeners and, uh, and, we, and we can talk about it. Uh, and I, I love this pre-chorus. I used to like liquor to get me inspired, but you look so beautiful, my new supplier. I used to like smoking to stop all the thinking, but I found a different buzz. The world is a curse. It'll kill if you let it. I know they got pills that can help you forget it. They bottle it, call it medicine, but I don't need drugs. Yeah, this this might be like my best pre-chorus I ever wrote. <laughs> it's, that I'm it's awesome. You it. talk about, I used to like liquor to get me inspired, but you look so beautiful. My new supplier. <laughs> it's, the new, it's the new dealer in your life. Hey, you move yeah. next door. He's easy. Yeah, again, this was, I think I was in a, in a very image, imagery-focused place. Um, and the underlying idea, which again, we can think about this with like, this, this could even be a song about replacing one, you know, it's really about replacing one form of intoxication with another, mm-hmm. fundamentally. And that's kind of life. Like in, this song could be about music. This could be about someone you love. It could be about a new drug you're taking, whatever. Um, but, I, but I do think there's this consistent feeling I've had in life. Uh, and it's an exciting one of like, oh my God, this is my new shit. Like when I started making music, I was like, oh my God, this is my, <laughs> I used to like this other stuff. Now I got this thing. This is exciting. And um, yeah, I, I think, and it's sometimes hard to recall and I'm terrible about keeping records. Like I don't do a ton of voice memos. Like I, I'm, I have friends who are just like incredible record keepers and I'm, I'm miserable, but I do know that the pre-course for this was all rhythmic. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I was really looking, because even that line about like, they bottle it, call it medicine, but I don't need drugs. That's a very kind of strange rhythm in a way, but it's, it was like a circular type of, there's something undulating about the song. And so I wanted the, the lyrics to rhythmically kind of feel like they were swirling too. Um, And so that was like the, for whatever that is to me feels like a circle feels like waves yeah your your flow and delivery is is what sells this part you know it is the lyric is great but it's just the way that that you do it and it's so so interesting to me when i step back and again why i love uh analyzing songs so much is i sit there and it's just 
this is nothing that I could have ever done as a songwriter. And it's not, not a disrespect to myself. It's just, it's so interesting to, to zone in and go, wow. And again, your flow and delivery is, is, is great on that part. Uh, it takes us a minute and three seconds to get to this first chorus. It's kind of a long time, but yeah. it, it's not, there's nothing boring. Everything I said that leads up to this is perfect. And then you get in the chorus and again, the mood changes here. You know, the, the band comes back in because I'm already high enough. You got me. You got me good. I'm already high enough. I only, I only, I only got eyes for you. It totally. And it's, it's very simple. It's like reading it out loud doesn't, you know, it's not Doesn't like do that it justice. Prof- <laughs> it's not, it's not super <laughs> profound, but it, I think, and the, here, here's like a, this has been a good lesson for me in general um, as a songwriter and I guess just as a person is if it feels good to sing, you should probably just sing it, even if it's not, you know, like reinventing the wheel or super profound or whatever, uh, because if it feels good to you, it'll probably feel good to somebody else. But can I tell you why this part's perfect to me is because how much more imagery and, and what can, after that pre-chorus, you got to bring it down. You right. got to bring it down something palatable for the listeners. In, in my opinion, I think that's why it works so well. You just, you gave them uh, eight lines here of pre-chorus and then boom, you hit them with this, this chorus. It's very singable and very memorable. That's what a chorus is, you know, and, and it, it is, it is memorable. This hook, uh, after the second time I listened to it, it was already in my head, the, the chorus. It's great. Thank you. No, I think, I think you're right that it's important to give the listener space <laughs> it's important just to have some space in the track. Yeah. Um, and I think it's often my instinct to fill space and to be in constant motion and to be talking all the time. And I need to get comfortable with stillness. Like uh-huh. I need to be confident in a song, just leaving space saying, yeah, here we go. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the lyric. And let, let, like, let the guitars ring out. As a young as a young songwriter, I was guilty of it. There had to be something all over everything. And a producer told me a long time ago, there's an art form into what you don't play. It's the notes that aren't there between the notes that are important. And wow, what a concept to grasp as a 22 year old. Now I get it. You know. Yeah, you know, I was. I've been going back uh, through a lot of music, kind of from the early mid aughts and one of the bands that I, I've just been watching a lot of live footage of is the White Stripes. And I think they're a great, possibly one of the best examples of this is like all the shit they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know Jack White has talked about this in the past about setting restrictions on yeah. what is possible and they're, and therein creating, you know, arguably limitless possibilities for creativity, but it's, it's having the, it's having restraint often I think that allows us all to be really, really creative and really, really original. And uh, yeah, just just as a, a kind of broader note, I think that type of restraint is really, really hard to exercise. But it's often the reason that a song or a film or a novel is is really compelling. Yeah, it, it's what makes one thing work and the other one is sometimes less is more. And that's uh, that's hard to comprehend. And like I said, once you do and, and you're cognizant of it, um, I, I tend to step back now and try to analyze my work a little differently and not try to cram a million things into what doesn't need to be there. Um, from the first chorus, we go right into the second verse. Uh, I love this second verse, too. Uh, do you see anyone other than me? Baby, please. I'll take a hit of whatever you got. 
maybe two, maybe three. Oh, you're phenomenal. Feel like a domino. Fall to my knees. I am a malady. You are my galaxy. My sweet relief. Oh, oh, oh. I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I know. I, I know. Uh, it's probably you. You said a moment ago. It's weird to hear your lyrics back. Talk to you. That's that. <laughs> I, it, is, but, it is. It is weird. I mean, I guess you know. It's the whole. It's always weird to hear, um, like things that are sung, spoken. I find in general, not even my own lyrics, but oh yeah. Um, but yes, that is the second verse. I think. I think the maybe one of my favorite parts of this song is the phenomenal domino rhyme. <laughs> so I'll just give that a special shout out. I was, I was proud of that. I remember uh, writing it and being like, Ooh, I like that. And as I'm looking at here on the paper, they don't rhyme. If you look at them just letter wise, but the way it's sung and uh, sometimes we'll, we'll call that a soft rhyme, but it's not even really a soft rhyme in this instance. It really does rhyme the way that you delivered. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's very cool. Uh, we go to pre-chorus two, which is the same exact uh, uh, pre-chorus uh, as the first one. Uh, I think if it's not broke, don't fix it. I think that was so good. Was there ever any uh, uh, talk or discussion between you and Mike uh, Elizondo about giving more information? Because, again, there's a lot of info in this song. Did you want to keep it the same as it ended up being here? Or was there ever talk of, hey, maybe we should bring in a couple more things uh, on this second pre-chorus? You know, I think from a a lyric perspective, we we didn't question that. So there's a few little noises that come in on that second pre-chorus. There's yeah. like a wow, wow, wow kind of thing. Uh, so we added a few little. I, I think at the time I was referring to them as our like circus synths. You know, yeah. there's sort of like a there's a goofiness to this song, which I think I always liked about it. Um, and maybe that's with the lyric as well. The imagery helps you to lock into this almost like fantastical place. You know, yeah. there's there's a playfulness to it, which which was certainly the spirit of the song. But yeah, I don't think we ever questioned putting more information just because I might have tried something. But the, as you say, there's a lot of words already. Like people, people don't need anymore. Well, and 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 for me again, uh, Christine, I almost feel like the the pre-chorus is almost the first chorus, and the high enough is kind of a post-chorus refrain. Uh, after that, in the sense, so really, this only happens twice in the song. I think need people need to hear it twice. It's such it's such a great hook, and uh, I think it's cool that you didn't add anything else there. Uh, I think it I think it, it works beautifully. Uh, we get to the second chorus, same length, same as the first chorus, because I'm already high enough. You got me. You got me good. I'm already high enough. I only, I only, I only got eyes for you. And then the band stops and there's this awesome new guitar riff that comes in. It One's panned off in the left speaker, one's panned in the right. And it's, it's doing this harmony thing with each other. listen to it like three or four times and I'm going is there intentional notes here that shouldn't work together it has this almost a tonal quality to it at points but yet the more I listen I'm like no this works beautifully but again it was it's nothing that I could have ever come up with that it's a cool part was that something you wrote or something that Mike brought to the table so that was Mike that was really like again talking about sort of wanting a real scene change in this bridge you know I think bridges are I personally love bridges, and to me, they serve one of two purposes, uh, ideally. 
one of which is to just totally scene change, to, to take the song to a totally different place, whether that's like dropping things out, whether it's halftime, a change in the progression or the riff, whatever. Um, or it's it's like, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. You know, or it's like one of those types of things where it's just like building up, building up. And I think for for this song, a scene change felt really necessary. And again, there there was a dreaminess that I felt like I wanted to capture, which is what does it feel like to be high on somebody or on something? You know, and it is a little bit trippy and it is kind of verbed out. And it is a strummy guitar. To me, that's what it feels like. And You're reading yeah, all my notes off here. See? <laughs> strummy guitar. <laughs> I, 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 um, yeah, my telepathy is, is uh, fully honed. It, it must be the three drinks, you're, the cocktail you're drinking today. Exactly. My, my, my precise Sparkly. mixture of water and coffee. But yeah, so Mike, Mike definitely brought that progression. Or he started, I just remember... He got, I think it was a old, he has an amazing collection of guitars, but I think it was an old Rickenbacker that he has. And he just started strumming on it and um, kind of messing around with some chords. And we got to this place and I was like, this is it. This is great. Um, and am I hearing that Mellotron buried back there too? Is that, is that what that is there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I was like, is that a keyboard? What is that? And it's just the strumming that and you can, and now that you say 12 string, I thought it was a chorus effect on a guitar. It's just beautiful. And the strumming patterns different than anything you hear in the song. And I always refer a lot of times to a bridge. Uh, and, and in this case as a breath of fresh air, it takes you away from where you were at. Um, and I love this part. I was like, wow, where did that come from? And, and the fact that you started talking about it at the top of the, uh, the podcast is interesting because this is the one part of the song that really, uh, really stood out to me as being just so different and almost doesn't feel like it's the same song, but it doesn't, it doesn't go on for very long. It's only about a 15, 16 second departure and then boom. And we'll get to that in a second. I want to get into the lyrics here, uh, for the bridge, um, uh, yeah, and, and the notes here I had written, the mood totally changes, total departure, guitar strummed, as you as you said. But the lyric is, uh, oh, don't try to give me cold water. I don't want to sober up. All I see are tomorrows. Oh, the stars were made for us. Another great line. I don't want any water to bring the buzz down. <laughs> right. Don't give me um, coffee. Don't throw me in a cold shower. Yeah, this is a, a bitch don't kill my vibe kind of moment, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, who who hasn't felt this, right? Like when when you're feeling when you are in that that kind of like altered state of consciousness, um, when you are under the influence of whatever and really not wanting that feeling to to dissipate or, you know, be diluted in any way. So I think I mean, I, I think I rode that bridge in like a very short period of time. Um, just because it was just sort of the first things that came out of my mouth on some level. So, yeah, and it is short, which kind of also felt right. And, you know, one thing we would do, I was just thinking about this in the in a live context, is we would kind of extend that end point. And one of the things I like about this bridge is how it comes back into the chorus. It's just out of nowhere. Cha, cha, cha. Yeah. Yeah. Our tomorrows, oh, the stars were made for one thing we would do live 
was extend that of the, oh, the stars are made for us. And just kind of have one of those awkward, like, yeah, like, when's when it the, coming? When is this coming back? <laughs> um, and then, cha, 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 you know. So uh, that's, that's probably my favorite part of the song, both live and, uh, and in in this version is just like when it when it kind of comes back. I love that when songs have a have like a heavy reentry. It it hit me out of nowhere. I was like, whoa! Because like I said, that that bridge is such a departure. It's so cool. It's another world. That guitar is beautiful. And then boom, here we are. Now we're into the no pre-chorus again. You don't get the pre-chorus again, but you get. I'm already high enough. You got me. You got me good. I'm already high enough. I only. I only. I only got eyes for you. But this is a double chorus. It doesn't repeat uh, that stanza of lyrics. But uh, you just go on to say, oh. I only got eyes for you. And you're doing the O's, which kind of echo the O's at the top of the song. Uh, and then it just ends. I only, I only, I only got eyes for you. And boom, it ends abruptly. Boom, it's over. And then you're like, whoa, what I just listened to? <laughs> um, <laughs> am I high? Yeah. Am, am I high? Am I high enough? Um, I should listen to it one more time. Christine needs more streams on Spotify. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I really like, there, there's a keyboard part at the in the second half of the um, double chorus. The mm-hmm. bam, bam. that felt like kind of demonic to me that I really liked. You know, I think for for me. As serious as I am in a song, I'm also a pretty playful person. At the same time, like even when I'm angry or really sad, I'm kind of always laughing a little bit at myself. And when I'm able to translate that feeling or that levity into the instrumentation at all, I feel like that's a big success. Like, and I, and I, I think with this song, again, whether it's like a circus quality or whatever, there's, there's something that's kind of, um, Something that feels kind of playful and not too heavy handed with it. And I, and I liked that about that, that keyboard part. Yeah. I love that part too. When the, when the record was done, you're got all 12 tracks or how many songs are on the album in front of you and you're listening back. Where did this song rank? Was it, we were like, okay, this is, this is special. This one's going to resonate. Or was it just another album track at that point? Or what'd you, what'd you feel about it? I really liked it. I actually, um, I, I didn't remember how I felt about it, but again, like the, a couple minutes before we got on the phone, I was like, I should see like, what was the trajectory of this song? And I, I emailed an early version of it to uh, John Janik, who's the president of Interscope, being like, dude, I'm so stoked on this, uh, which which I didn't do with every song, so I must have been pretty excited about it. Uh, I grew up with yeah. John Janik, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, We're from the, the same little town in Florida. I've known, I've known, John, I've known John forever. Really? Yes. Where yes. in Florida? Port Charlotte, Florida, a little Gulf Coast community on the Gulf Coast of Florida. I've known John, John uh, and uh, my dr- uh, old drummer of Less Than Jake, uh, Vinny Fiorello, and John uh, started Fuel by Ramen Records out of our apartment in Gainesville. Wow. Yep. Okay, cool. So I've known, cool. I've known, I've known Mr. That. Janik since the 90s. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> well, I haven't known him as long, um, but I did email him like excitedly with with the first version of this song. So Awesome. I think I, I think I felt like it was a contender to be a single or whatever. Okay. Okay. And you know, I mentioned earlier and I want to talk about this a little bit. You know, 
it's interesting in this day and age, the video for this song, nothing to sneeze at. Okay. Uh, on, on YouTube has like 5 uh, million hits, but the lyric video for this track has 23 million hits on YouTube. And so then I got sucked in the old, uh, YouTube vortex down the YouTube hole and I'm watching a bunch of other stuff that you did. And oh, you guys, the listeners, you have to check this out. The remix is cool. But what I really thought was cool with, was the Seattle sessions with the orchestra that you did. That is so awesome. How did that come about? Thank you. You know what? That was... That was killer, and you sounded great. Your voice sounded great, and they were just phenomenal players. You still like the good, it can be inspired, but you look so beautiful, my new supplier. You still like smoking and stop all the thinking, but I found it there bites. The world is a curse, it'll kill if you let it. I know they got bills that can help you forget it. Bottle it, call it medicine, but I don't need drugs. So that was like a very long time coming in in a strange sense. So one of the things that happens when you're when you're a road dog uh, as <laughs> as you are and um, as I aspire to be is that you tour with all these pe- you know you come into contact with all these people who might be in band A for a moment and then go on to you know do God knows what. So I had been one of my early tours. I had been opening up. Um, for an act and half of that act who goes who produces under the name Budo he's based in Seattle and he ended up doing a bunch of Macklemore stuff and we had kind of you know crossed paths in a number of ways but we linked up to work on this together and was kind of his name is Josh and um, I will credit my my manager Seth I'll give him a shout out here he was he he really pushed for this idea to take you know, part of this record and kind of reimagine it. And so it was awesome. I, I went up to Seattle and Josh just, you know, produced and and really kind of organized this. We decided on a vision for each song, you know, what kind of sonic landscape we wanted to live in. And then he he got all these amazing instrumentalists um, or, you know, orchestra brass, the, the, the kind of whole thing, strings and brass, and put it together. And it was really fun. And it was actually, I think, one of the things that for me was cool about it was in in my experience, when I'm singing a song for the recorded version, it's almost like the first time I've really sung it. You know, the song is new because I just wrote it and now I'm going to sing it. Yeah. And so I had this experience of, okay, there's the version on the record, which is when I first learned the song because I had just written it. And then there's the version on this, which is I've been playing this song now for a year, year and a half live. And now I have this other kind of perspective to bring. So that was that was really cool. No, it was it was awesome. It knocked me out. I, I actually watched it a couple of times. It was so cool. The instrumentation, uh, you just killed it vocally. So uh, yeah, everybody out there, if you have a chance, listen to the Seattle sessions uh, from Kayflay for High Enough. It's very very cool. I uh, just uh, you know as we wrap here, I want to uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to to be on the podcast. Uh, I, I mean everything I said about the song. I think it's I think it's killer. I love the lyric and uh, just want to leave the listeners now with anything that you'd like to plug. Any Anything that you have coming up uh, that you'd like to uh, talk about? Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me, Chris. This was really fun. And it was, um, yeah, cool to revisit something like from the more distant past, too, and think about that. Um, in terms of new stuff, well, 
when people are listening to this, I have a new EP out of a, a few 90s cover songs. It's called Don't Judge a Song by Its Cover. And uh, yeah, I would love for everyone to check it out. It's basically, I took three songs, um, Self-Esteem by The Offspring, Brain Stew by Green Day, and Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit, and kind of reimagined them in this emotional context uh, okay. because I think I think a lot of you know I've spent much of my career because um, because of alternative radio listening to uh, the the alternative rock music of the mid to late 90s which is sort of prototypically aggressive I think in a lot of ways and yet many of the songs are at least to me very vulnerable and emotional uh, when you shine a particular light on them so that was that's the spirit of the project and I'm really stoked on it. So go check it out, everyone. Awesome. And please let the listeners know where they can find you online. You can uh, you can find me online uh, pretty much everywhere. I, I don't know if there's anything I've eschewed on the internet. But yeah, it's just, just K-Flay everywhere. And... Um, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty easy to find. I don't. I don't lurk in the shadows. Awesome. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak to me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names, and maybe you've heard their songs. But what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Meager Kings, an Ohio-based band with reggae, ska, and rock influences. The song we're about to preview was produced by Howie Spangler of Ballyhoo, and the animated music video for it was created by our very own Chris Fafalios. Here's a snippet of their song, Mind Over Matter. You find your dreams when you wake up in a different state. Mind over matter, what steps do you take? And if you will leave, you will never be alone. The place where you end up could never be home. But before you speak, you gotta look at your circumstances. The Rap with Chris and Chris. I really enjoyed that episode. I wasn't actually familiar with K-Flay that much before we knew we were going to do this episode. And I think that I came out a fan. I mean, I liked the songs that I had heard, but I think hearing her perspective and where her music comes from made me even more of a fan it endeared me to her so much well you can't judge a book by its cover chris and uh she looks tough in her videos and <laughs> she couldn't have been more personable and sweet uh in person i really i really enjoyed talking to her i thought it was great 
And I really liked hearing her talk about working with Mike Elizondo, uh, legendary producer. So that was really cool. Yeah, no, she uh, and you want to talk about uh, imagery and lyrics. I, I, I talked about it during the episode. Uh, it doesn't get much more descriptive than what was going on here uh, lyrically. And I just thought the song was was crafted well. As I mentioned, it's three minutes and 51 seconds. Uh, it goes by quick. There's really no uh, no fat on the bone on this one. And uh, it gets to that bridge which, interestingly uh, enough, she brought up right off the top when we started talking uh, about right. that bridge, which is, uh, uh, I call it the breath of, breath of fresh air. It was su- such a cool part to this song. There is nothing quite like a great bridge that takes you to a different place. It's uh, a very fun part about songwriting to be able to get to that different feel or different place or or breath of fresh air as you like to call it and it can really elevate a song from being mediocre to being really great as i'm sure you'd agree yeah and i also thought it was very humbling of her to credit uh producer mike elizondo as much as she did she really credited him with that bridge part and that's uh so cool to hear from from artists when they because the the producer is just you know the they don't get recognized at the mall they don't get the accolades they uh, they, (laughs) they get the check in the mail which is nice but uh, producers don't don't get the credit sometimes that uh, that they deserve, and a great producer can just uh, take your strengths and elevate them uh, to the next level. And uh, thought that was really cool that she uh, she really credited him for uh, what he brought to the table. And one more thing that I thought was really interesting in this episode is how she talked about how the song uh, had success at first. Not mega success, but it was successful. But then it sort of had a second life thanks to things like TikTok and just social media, uh, things such as that, which is so interesting and cool to hear about. Because if you don't, as a musician, embrace the way that people consume music and you know, TikTok, like it or not, that's one of the ways that people do now. If you don't embrace that, you're bound to fall behind or or possibly fall into obscurity if, unless you really established yourself in some other form. Like, I don't necessarily think that Less Than Jake has to worry about TikTok too much, but if you're a new <laughs> artist, uh, yeah, you, I mean, I'm sure people are skanking to your songs on, on TikTok here and there, but you had you were established before that. But if you're a new artist coming up now, or if you're someone who's trying to stay relevant, you better at least know what's up with things like that no and i think that the refreshing thing is uh for me as someone who's been in the business for for going on 30 years it's really cool to know that i can put out a song in 2020 and it may go viral in 2025 it may take five years and that song could have a whole other rebirth and a whole other life and that's what she's experiencing right now with high enough you know she's seeing a song that had you know a decent showing at radio in 2017 2018 now all of a sudden people are making tiktok videos and instagram videos of uh doing whatever uh to the song and it's uh it's really cool because uh there's there's a lot of ways now to consume music it's not just uh the old the old traditional ways that sometimes uh people get trapped into thinking that's that's how you still have to do it no it's it's a different game now it's a different playing field it's really cool too that you brought up the fact that the lyric video to the song has like five times the amount of plays on youtube than the actual music video could you imagine (laughs) could you imagine putting out a lyric (laughs) video in 1999 people be like what you wanted to watch the performers in the video it just it's complete opposite of of what you would think would be successful uh it's it's amazing 
yeah, as artists, you want to you want to think that people want to see your art, and that extends beyond just the song. That extends to what your music video concept was, and and your vision for it. But no, the fact of the matter is, you and I might not be in this category, Chris. I mean, I love good lyrics, of course, but I think we're kind of melody people, as a lot of people in bands and and, and artists are. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, a lot of people that just like to consume music, that is the number one thing they're looking for is the lyrics. And if you have great lyrics with great imagery, people want to read them and follow along with them. And, and you and I, I, I don't know how many songs in my life that it'll be 20 years later, I'll be like, that's what they're saying there. I'm, yeah. I'm trying, I, I can't think of examples off the top of my head, but I swear it happens once a week. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the other thing is just the fact that uh, if you, you know, I mentioned it in the episode, when I started getting sucked into the YouTube uh, wormhole, I just started seeing all kinds of different things that she, she does with her music. That's cool. She's really into remixes. And uh, the thing that she did with the orchestra, the Seattle sessions, if you haven't uh, seen it out, the uh, listeners out there, please check it out. It, it was super cool uh, to see. And, uh, you know, c- consider me a fan of k I think she's awesome. Hell yeah, I agree. And you know what else is awesome, Chris? This month's fundraiser. Uh, This month's fundraiser is the Jason R. Flood Memorial. Uh, Their goal is to raise awareness of suicide prevention and to feel comfortable to speak up and reach out when warning signs are recognized. They are constructing education and peer support groups to offer guidance for a variety of mental health issues, particularly with the tween and teenage groups. For more information and to donate, uh, go to ChrisToMakesADifference.com. Whatever you could give, a dollar, five, ten... Uh, it surely goes a long way, and we thank you for your support. I can't think of a better way to start a new year than by contributing to a great cause at ChrisToMakesADifference.com. We're going to have 12 different causes this year, and I'm excited about that, man. It feels good to to give back in one way or another uh, with this podcast. And uh, I don't know, man. It's a new year. It's a fresh start. Do you have any resolutions this year? Uh, well, considering that uh, this is a songwriting podcast, and I've been doing custom songs and jingles for the last year, uh, my resolution is I want to write more custom songs and jingles than I did last year, Chris. Damn, dude. All you're going to do is write songs. You wrote, <laughs> didn't you write like over 100 last year? I did 134 custom songs and jingles last year. So Damn. thanks to everybody who ordered one. Uh, and speaking of, I'd love to write you a uh, custom video uh, jingle uh, for Valentine's Day. So hit me up at chrisdemakes at gmail.com and I can put something together for you or that special someone. Uh, it's, a, it's a gift that uh, you can cherish and keep forever. I'm going to hit you up to write a song about me, I think. I think it's time. <laughs> you don't want to hear the lyrics. <laughs> no. no uh, yeah. They'll, they'll be great. They'll be great, man. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that's that's a pretty uh, ambitious goal to write more than 134 custom songs this year, man. My, my resolutions are just to get jacked. I want to get totally jacked this year. I want to look good. I've The last few months, I've... I'm not going to lie, I've been eating a good bit, (laughs) kind of chilling, making podcasts. I'm going to get back in shape. I was in pretty good shape in the summer. I want to do that. And I also, this is going to sound ridiculous, and I got nothing against cussing, but I want to cuss less this year, not because I'm offended by cussing, but because I think you sound more intelligent when you cuss less. (laughs) Okay. Um, Maybe I'll try to join you on that. I've I've tried to keep it at a bare minimum here on on the podcast, but we'll see what I can do outside of the podcast. Um, And and to each and every one of you out there, Happy New Year, and uh, thank you so much for your continued support. Uh, If you haven't already, please join uh, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you. It's free to join. And... uh, 
Yeah, anything anything else, Chris? No, that's all. Come interact with us. We like interaction. It's a new year. We all get a fresh start. That 2020 thing is behind us. Let's go. Rock on. We'll see you guys next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason. and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriel, Jimmy G. from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun.